Hello, and welcome back to Stand Partners for Life. I'm Nathan. I'm Akiko. And once again, we find ourselves talking auditions here right after putting the kids to bed. All three of them. They're not always staying in bed. Poor, poor Nathan had a little bit of a moment with a, a urine-soaked Winnie the Pooh. Oh, yeah. Um, this might be... Well, this wasn't the first time, actually, that a stuffed animal found itself into the toilet in this <laughs> household. Um the first time that I had to get it out. So, um, so anyway, one of those nights and, uh, I guess, uh, that proves that we can talk about auditions under any, uh, circumstances, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're, we're really continuing the theme from last time when we, we looked at, uh, how to approach an audition from the very, very start, um, looking at that New York audition packet and, Although it sounds strange to say uh, that Stand Partners for Life is brought to you by something, because it's really just brought to you by us. Um, we do have something special going on now with this uh, preparation for the New York audition. And there's really only a few days left at the time of this recording to take advantage of it, because um, if you want to work with me more closely on on your preparation, I've got a great program that combines videos and my, my marked parts with bowings and fingerings for all the New York excerpts and the chance to get to work with me on a week to week basis, um, through some live sessions, but I'm closing that when New York closes its, uh, resume window and that's Monday, July 23rd of 2018. So you've got to get your application into them by then. And if you want to be able to work with me for all the weeks leading up to the audition, got to do that by July 23rd too. So that's SP4L, so that you don't have to type out Stand Partners for Life, sp4l.com slash New York 2018. And if you go there, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about and just make sure to do it by Monday the 23rd, by the end of the day. And uh, I think what we talked about discussing today was certain points in our audition journey or, or our process or violin lives where, where we got some help either in lessons or I don't know, maybe just a comment off the street or something that ended up being some kind of a turning point. Yeah. You, you know, it's never happened to you. You've never, uh, comment just, off the street, Do you <laughs> never just run into someone on the street and uh, what they said changed your audition life. Oh, uh, no, I well, don't think that's uh, happened to me either, but yeah, maybe on my uh, answering machine, probably. On your yeah, someone yeah. called your answering machine, yeah. and what they said transformed you. Yeah, into an angry person. Anyway, <laughs> no names will be mentioned. Well, I just don't want to imply that these things can only happen during you know formal lessons or something. But but yeah, that's what we're talking about. Those, those times, so not stuff that you figured out on your own after painstaking years of work, but just uh, 
moments where you heard something that you needed to hear at that time and and it really by the way i sound like i'm 90 years old you sound like you're 90 years old. i mean uh, who who uses an answering machine oh that's true (laughs) they're like what are you talking about for those born in the (laughs) mid 80s or later (laughs) yeah we used to have tape you you had one with a tape right an answering machine i mean that your family no i mean yes probably i mean the one i'm talking about was you know that at&t one with the Looked very, it's kind of sleek and had like two buttons. Oh, so that was digital. It didn't have the, the tape anymore. Sure. Okay. Right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not 90. So. Okay. Just grew up in the 90s. <laughs> um, so, the yeah, 80s, do you, right? do you want to go first? Do you have um, something burning a hole in your microphone? I, you know, I'll, I'll start because my story st- starts very early on. Your Probably audition my, story? My first, yeah, my first experience that I can think of really making a big impact on, on, on my my idea of you know what it is to play in an orchestra and um, how you have to prepare. So um, I think I told you this story I was my conductor at Manhattan School pre college, and I forget which you know they had a few orchestras. So this was probably not the littlest kids. It was probably like the kind of the next one up. And the conductor was Jonathan Strasser, who I was actually just reading a little little bit of his obituary a couple a couple months ago. Oh really? Um, but he. He made us go stand uh, person by person, which is Ooh. not something I'd ever. Obviously, I was like seven, so I hadn't done that before. And, Down the line, yeah, but it was you know it was um this we were all unprepared for this rehearsal, and in hindsight, it's kind of funny looking look at my kids. It's like you know, of course they're unprepared and they're <laughs> seven years old. Seven but year so old. He made us go person by person. And, it was very traumatic. I remember people were really just kind of losing it, you know, and I managed to just kind of keep it together barely, you know, and at the end he, he said, um, what did he, he said, okay, but no cigar. Okay. Does that make, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think if I remember you telling me this, that it was a, an alternate phrasing of the usual close but no cigar. Oh, no, no, no. Of course it was close, but no cigar. Oh, okay. You always told me it was okay. Oh, I'm, I mean, I don't remember. I just, I remember the no no cigar thing. And I was like, I had absolutely no idea what that right. meant. <laughs> so I said, I, all I knew was that it hadn't gone very well. So I was kind of still hanging my head in shame. But, but yeah, I, I mean, that was, that's a moment that was really burned on my brain, the, the no cigar moment. And, uh, and, you know, a reminder from very early on that, you know, you, you have to be prepared. And that's not necessarily an audition story, but you know that you, you do not want to be caught with your pants down ever. Right. And you still remember that line. You remember that feeling. So oh, yeah. I imagine you have wanted to avoid that. Yes. In the years since. Um, huh. I didn't, I didn't have one from when I was a kid. Although actually now I can think of one from being 15. Yeah. So at that age, I should have been really prepared, but this was for a Washington DC summer orchestra institute where we were going to get to work with members of the National Symphony and all all that. This would have been in 1993. And you were, you were playing basketball with Alan Iverson. That's right. That summer, I was able to play with the answer. Um, <laughs> that was awesome. Um, but before that happened, or maybe at the same time as that was happening, I should have been practicing Beethoven's <laughs> pastoral symphony because that was on the seating audition for that. And I practiced some of the excerpts, the ones that looked hard and the ones that didn't, I just didn't. And so of course in the audition, it was <laughs> made up of the ones that I didn't really practice. And yeah, I think I was holding on to whole notes that were 
the wrong accidental and yeah at the end of that one the guy just uh remember randall craig fleischer he was the assistant the national symphony at that time and uh assistant conductor and yeah he just said you've got to know everything that's on the list nice that's still true today yeah, so I have. I actually I got have next two, to last year. I have two. <laughs> really, I did. I, I recently saw the group photo of, of all of us on stage there, and I was like, "Where, where am I?" I'm like, you know, I'm looking up near the front. Surely, and then, and wow, no, I got. I was outside last stand You're in the, the first in the front of the violas. Yeah. Um. Oh, sorry, sorry to the violas. Uh, so yeah, my other two stories are actually also from from when I was young. So it's funny that you only have really one. Yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah, and these are specifically, I'd say they're specifically audition related, maybe, or maybe. Well, you may have had your mind turned toward that earlier. No, I mean, it's just that we did a lot of it, I guess. I don't know if more than you did. I just, so, you know, so then my next story was, comes up a lot because we see Miguel Harth Bedoya, you know, occasionally. And now conducting. he's music director in Fort Worth. Uh huh. And, you know, at the time he was conductor of the pre college symphony. So. At Juilliard. Mm hmm. And by the way, as I always say, he looks exactly the same today as he did then. Which that is, kind that of is amazing. He is one of those. Yeah, because I definitely don't. So I guess <laughs> some might be a good thing. So I would think I was 11 or 12. Is that right? Maybe, maybe I was a little bit older. And he, you know, there's seating auditions. And he, um, well, we had to play a solo Bach, maybe. I forget if that was the specific requirement. So I, I had Chacon prepared, but only like the first two pages or so i don't know where i even got the idea that i only had to I, you know i think they said it's gonna be like a you know a few minutes playing or something so i thought <laughs> well a few minutes yeah. is only well he must have sensed that i wasn't completely prepared he had me keep going i think i played for i forget how it felt like an eternity it probably was only you know a few extra minutes of the piece but i few was minutes a solo box dying That's i was life dying i because i after that first page i was out you know and i had to keep stopping and I, my face was like it was pouring sweat i was just you know and i will you know never forget that feeling and and i remember his face too it was like stone and i for a long time <laughs> i'm not gonna lie there were a few years there where uh i wasn't a big fan because I thought he did that to me on purpose and I thought he was a jerk. You know, and then in hindsight, it's like one of the most valuable lessons probably that I could have learned. Yeah. You know, just you're young. I mean, that, that sensation of just being unprepared and completely exposed on the spot is just, you know, it's the humiliation. You, know, you don't forget that. So, you know, thank you, Miguel. But yeah, listening to auditions there in Chicago, I remember sometimes I would hear playing that I liked pretty well just my priorities were out of whack. I, you know, I'd hear things I like, and so I'd get taken with uh, that person and vote for them. And in the cases where that would come to a discussion, like that person didn't quite get enough votes to advance, um, there might be a discussion, and my colleagues would point out some <laughs> some faults, especially with the bow that I had missed or I hadn't paid enough attention to. And they'd say, yeah, imagine sitting next to that for 40 years. And that line, too, has stuck in my head. That's when those seemingly minor annoying things can grow in importance in an audition when committees have to consider sharing the stage with you for the rest of their careers. Right. Yeah, not, in, not the most inspiring line so far. <laughs> Mine either. 
I mean, or, are you you're looking for like some real? No, some I'm I'm honestly I'm just looking for. Yeah, the this is all things that we needed to hear, things that we weren't figuring out for ourselves at the time. We just needed to hear from an external source that then went on to help us. Like harsh things? I mean, I... Could be. I'm sure it could be harsh. I mean, I remember playing one audition in Chicago, and yeah, afterward I was told, your sound was just wiry. Right. And that that's what I needed to hear at that time, because then I knew that was the big thing holding me back. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, my story about the answering machine, yeah, it's probably as close as I got to somebody just kind of being mean, you know, like... So what is the answering machine? Well, and that was weird. That was after I won a job. And they said, well, that, well, that was, sorry, that's a different story. So she, she said, you must have played really well. And it was kind of t- like sort of tinged with this like implication that, you know. It, that was on your answering machine? Yeah. Someone just called you up. Did they say congratulations? Yeah. Okay. And, you know, possibly I was reading into it. But <laughs> the, the real story that I, I should be telling that was um, before that, when, you know, when I was playing for her uh-huh. still not going to reveal but it was someone in a major orchestra yes and uh and she she told me i should maybe consider auditioning for smaller orchestras smaller than the one you were playing yes for i think at the for. time i was like you know preparing for the boston audition or something you know and, and to be fair i think it was it, it may have been one of the title positions okay she said that and uh so and did it, that end up helping you? Really stung. No, not really. <laughs> Although, uh, well, exactly no, I won't say it didn't team, help then. me. I'm, you know, but that, you know, it's, it's kind of a moment where you're, it's like a reality check. It's like, yeah, maybe I'm not. Because let's, let's assume she's not, she's not a mean person. She wasn't trying to, you know, like there was no reason she'd be just trying to make me feel bad for no reason. So she must have, I believe she genuinely thought I had a lot of work to do. So, you know, I think that was a moment where I was like, okay, maybe I don't sound as great as I think I do. <laughs> Or something. Uh, so I guess that was helpful. So the fact that you went ahead and kept auditioning proved that you had the confidence to... <laughs> maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I ended up doing all right in these auditions. So I thought, well, she may not like my playing, but evidently she never liked my playing very much. But well, uh, That's true. Yeah, like, uh, you know. what do they say in Seinfeld? Does, does everybody have to like you? And George mm-hmm. says, yes, <laughs> I must be liked. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe that's the lesson. Only only the people on the committee have to like your playing. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah, that was, that was a little painful. But um, Was that your real next story, though? Sort of the meat and potatoes of my audition stories. You know, I think I think it has to come back to, to Mr. Dick Duro. And yeah, I was, you were fortunate enough to study with him for those, those two years in graduate school. Yes. So, yeah, every week getting to work on audition material. Yeah, which is something that... Um, not a lot of teachers are or were doing. Sure. You know, at Juilliard, I think it was kind of tough to find someone who would take... Not Curtis either. I mean, on violin. Well, especially Curtis. But Juilliard, you know, it was like even seemingly a more corporate-minded or you know pragmatic environment. Like, it was like, <laughs> yeah, it was not happening. You know, and there was no orchestral rep class, I don't think, which is sort of unthink... Like, why? why is that, you know? Yeah, we had string sectionals, but no rep class actually yeah so when i was considering where to go it was really important for me that um i study with him because i sort of got that sense you know there are great teachers there and you know there was robert mann there was yeah i I knew that i needed to get a job 
and I, you know, I knew I wanted to be in an orchestra. So, um, you know, and it was a, it was a little bit iffy, I think, for him to accept me as a student. So, I was really grateful he did, and because I, I don't think I would have had, I don't think I would have been able to, to be successful in auditions without him. Like, why is that? Well, I mean, he, he gave me really specific advice, you know, about bowings, fingerings, that kind of thing. It was like, and it was, you know, the kind of thing where if you didn't do it, if you're just kind of like suggestion noted, and then you did something else, <laughs> he would not be happy with that. So you kind of had to, you know, you, you know, had to write them in and you had to do them mm-hmm. at, at the next lesson. And, um, you know, it's funny because I played for him just a few years ago and um, I really was like really frightened because he, he'd given me a fingering and I, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> And so I was like, I'm really sorry. I'm, I just, I just can't, I've really tried to do this fingering. It's just too hard for my hand. And he was like, why are you apologizing so much? <laughs> You're like, do you I was not like remember? quaking in fear. And he was like looking at me like I'd lost my mind. But yeah, I mean, he used to be, you know, such a stickler. So yeah, I mean, he would, he'd say, this is what you, this is the fingering you use. This is the bowing use. Probably less for bowings, but definitely this is the fingering you're using. Well, and did that annoy you or did that just sort of eliminate that as a worry or a consideration like, okay, that now I just, I don't have to deal with this anymore because I know this works. This is. Yeah. I, I would say that it was a little of both. I mean, I, I, I'm somewhat of a believer now in finding your highest percentage fingering for something. Um, and I do believe people, their hands are different sizes. Your strengths are different. You know, maybe you just don't feel comfortable shifting on that finger or something. So I think a lot of the time I spend preparing is me trying to figure out, but you know, this is of course a couple, you know, almost two decades post schooling. So, mm-hmm. you know, at the time I didn't really have a choice because I guess I didn't really want me to do. <laughs> and of course, you know, if I said, I feel this is much stronger, I mean, you know, he, he probably was like, if you feel like, you know, you're going to, you're going to get the shift that way for sure, then do it. But I think it was comforting and I'm certain excerpts, for sure. It was like some of them were like revelations. I think wherever my my particular particular areas of weakness were, it was incredibly helpful to hear how he would do it. Um, the first the example that comes to mind for me is um, Last Movement of Eroka Symphony, the excerpt that in... The, oh, yeah, I was thinking of that because you always mention how he did that. Yeah, he had, a, he had one where it's like, you know, your hand... You don't shift. You're just reaching. He was a big fan of, of reaching for things, okay. not not having to shift a lot. And yeah, I think that when you know, it's once you you know, once you figure that out, you yeah, you you feel like you've you've taken care of this this, this huge problem, you know, because that that that's an excerpt where the fingering, the smoothness, the changing, you know, the post changes, everything, you know, it's string changes. I mean, that's a big issue. Well, and you got to see him. See him do it and hear him do and it. And hear him do it, yeah, because, you know, the things he would never do. Um, mm-hmm. That was another thing, too, I think, hearing from him things that you, you know, for for him, and I think it's true. I mean, like, sometimes you're listening to an audition and there's just like, like, no, you'll hear something and they're like, I don't care what else <laughs> this person can do. I don't like that they're doing that. In other words, deal breaker. Deal breakers, yeah. And it's not comforting for people to hear and it's not... Saying it out loud, it sounds more harsh than it is. I mean, it's probably something like you hear them do a few times or you, you start to notice as a tendency and that's, you know, but he would say, like, if you put an accent, like, you know, like G. Pasquale said, if you put an accent here, then you're out. That's it. Yeah. And different committees can be different, but 
it, it's really not that different than what we do all the time. Not that we're going on blind dates. At least I hope you're not. But when I was, yeah. No, I mean, you, you see certain things, you hear certain things, and it's like, yeah, I could definitely finish out the hour or the date with this person, but like, there's no way I'm spending the rest of my life <laughs> or career with them. Yeah, 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 something like that. So that was really, that was really helpful to to have him, you know, help me with my, the places that needed advice, like real like just really focused specific advice. And and the other thing about studying with him is that I never had the feeling like he was just saying you need to get better overall or you need to, you know, there was never I think because it was so clear from day 1 that I had a very specific goal in mind. We never had a thing where he was just trying to to fix things about my playing, which, you uh, know, a yeah. little bit of a double-edged sword because I I do feel sometimes like, you know, I'm lacking in some technical areas because, you know, it's by the time I got to grad school, it was like, I didn't really have time to, to, to fix stuff anymore. You know, I was really focused on getting a job and, um, I think some problems just persist in my playing, but, you know, it, but studying them. Sure. But I mean, having not really, you know, the confidence that probably comes with being more serious about it for longer. I think that, you know, since I sort of felt like I came back to it on a lark, you know, there's a little bit of, feeling insecure about that but um but just but it was also refreshing to study with him and feel like it wasn't a general feeling of of working on my playing it was like you will do this 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 this, and this (laughs) and that will help you know and it was almost like a guarantee it was like that will definitely help well that's interesting i actually i think that's comforting and we were we were talking about this a little bit in the webinar that i did this morning um about audition prep is that, yeah, you're not going to transform your playing. You're the kind of player you are, the level of your playing in one two month audition cycle, basically. I mean, but you can make big changes in your presentation, the, the parts of your playing that you show that you emphasize and that you might hide away. And that's, I mean, that's what an audition is. It's a presentation, you know, it's not a referendum on your, your entire technique (laughs) or, you yourself as a person god forbid yeah and i think it's helpful to think of it that way it's like you it's not some vast thing that you have to perfect every molecule of it's you know it's yeah you have to it's a face that you're putting on and that has to be worked on but you know it's in the end it's just it's 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 a much smaller surface area than 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 you might think (laughs) actually it's so funny um because just today i haven't mentioned this here but you know, I've had a few coachings on voiceover technique, which basically is about advertising. And it's pretty funny how similar these presentations are, really. I mean, if you're reading a 30-second script for something, you're having to convince some kind of producer or writer, you know, who has a pretty specific idea of how it goes. So the lengths are similar, and the level of detail that people are listening for is similar. So I read something out, you know, that, that sounds, you know, it's like they're giving away $50,000. And I think I said, they're giving away $50,000. And 
the coach was like, why do you emphasize there? Why is there so high? They're giving away 50,000. It's like, are there, are there five other people giving away $50,000? No, it's the $50,000 or it's the, it's the giving away. They're giving away $50,000. And once I heard it, it's like, okay, yeah. Interesting. The accent goes there. The emphasis goes there. They're giving away. (laughs) (laughs) They're giving away. Like who? No way. <laughs> Not those people. Um, it's funny because I feel like when we read stories to the kids, we, we we also emphasize different parts of sentences. Yeah. Well, apparently I always emphasize pronouns and this is a major weakness. <laughs> I always emphasize pronouns. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I'm sure we could talk about Mr. Dictoro for, for a while. We should do a Mr. Dictoro episode and maybe we'll even get him, get him here and we won't call him Mr. Dictoro. We'll call him by his first name. That's right. Not, not today though. Well, he's probably not here in Pasadena. I mean, I'm not going to call him Glenn today. Or I oh, just did. okay. <laughs> well, th- then you didn't have to use a pronoun. That's good. That's true. Um, we'll call him. <laughs> So my next story is, it is actually also from when I was younger and it was not about auditions. Um, yeah, actually it's a little bit sad and depressing too. Maybe that's just the way we think when we look back on these watershed moments, they're all about humiliation and lack yeah, of achievement. Do we have any uplifting ones? Well, I, I feel like they all, they all do have an uplifting counterpart. It's kind of the negative space, right? It's the the white part of the picture. You know, if you talk about the negative part of something, what's implied is that you got the uplifting part later by taking in the negative message. Well, let's hear the story and then we can decide. Okay. Well, so uh, when I was growing up, my dad being a flutist, he was uh, playing every summer in this Peninsula Music Festival. And the concertmaster of that orchestra, this was in Door County, Wisconsin, was Marilyn McDonald, violin faculty at Oberlin. So Every summer growing up, that would be the kind of the one time each year that I would play for someone who was a teacher at a, at a conservatory. So we tried to keep it low key and everything, but it was definitely a yearly check-in to see sort of like how on track is Nathan to go to some decent school. And yeah, one year, I think it was when I was 14. Um, so around the same time as the other story, the Beethoven pastoral crappy audition story playing Vinyowski's second concerto yeah she she just drew my attention to the fact she she called it the f and s school of violin playing i was like oh well, cool like there's a russian school there's a franco-belgian F&S. the f and s fast and sloppy Asked. and so she says not just you know to, to make me feel worse it's not just the bad intonation and the bad sound. It's like all the extra little sounds that are in there. You know, when you put the bow on the string, there's a sound and in between the notes, there's kind of a whistling and all this. And, and she said, but you can practice those out. It's like ironing a shirt. You can just practice those out. And for some reason at the time, I, well, here we are back to pronouns again. I, when she said, you can practice those out, I didn't take it to mean me myself. I said, for some reason I heard that and I was thinking, oh, some other kind of person, some other kind of player can get rid of all that. But for me, it's too late. 
for some reason, yeah, I, I just thought, oh, I've, I've missed the boat on that. And it wasn't until I was at Curtis and I, I remember a, a lesson with um, Ida Kavafian where she was saying something similar enough that it, it, even at that time, it brought me back to that story with Marilyn McDonald. And I realized, yeah, these are all things one by one, I could tackle them and they might add up to something better. So yeah, for a whole week, I just focused on those extra noises, the little things that would get picked up in a recording. And that didn't solve all my problems, but it was, it, it made a difference from one week to the next. Yeah, I remember having to confront that again when you were in the booth when I made my one and only recording. Oh, well, I mean, that was great disc and Yeah, but, you know, once again, hearing all those little things that those mics pick up. Um, well, that's, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine that level of scrutiny, you know, something that... Well, but no, we, we have that level whenever we take an audition, whenever no, we... No, because it's still, you know, an audition in the end is still a performance and it's, it's you know floats away Just yeah like, you know, sure the recording lives on so oh uh, yeah you know. i see what you're saying but still when you're preparing an audition you record yourself sure. and you listen back and you and all those things bother you sure but those are more like you know it's not gonna be like one little scratch here or there it's gonna be like you keep scratching on this you know whenever right you, it's what that reveals about yeah so you know you overall you know i think auditions in some way i think people are drawn to doing them because of that factor that feeling that it's like you know, it's even more than a performance because it's like, you know, the screen's up, you know, and if it de- doesn't go well, like I think I've said this before, you just, you know, go out, get your Sunday and gin martini and go, you know, like you're, you could just <laughs> pretend it never happened. I love how that's, I, I feel like that's got to be my dying meal or something. Oh, there yeah. really is nothing that sounds better than that. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> but right now. Um yeah, so I was trying to think of other, you know, like more recent experiences for me. I remember playing, even, you know, I thought, look, I've, however old I was, like, you know, in my 30s, I've won a few auditions now. Like, I'm pretty sure I know how this sounds, you know, recording it even. You know, it's surprising that when you play for people, you still get feedback that you don't, you know, that you still don't know as well as other people listening to you. Yeah. No, and so, you know, I think I remember playing for you and for Bob domain you know our principal cello and i think also jonathan Crowley. it's like you know many different people and i and i was getting the same feedback so i knew it wasn't just like the room i was in or you know the mood like you were in or you know it was and it was like geez i still sound edgy when i play bartok concerto you know and that like really bugged me because i was really thinking you know being so conscious about like trying to stretch things out and not be so aggressive and then you know i was like it's just it's still not enough you know and so i think the lesson there is you, no matter what, no matter how good you think your ear is and you're recording yourself and how many years have passed of you playing this and you're thinking, I know how this goes and I know how to, you know, you can still be doing things that are, that need to be fixed that, you know, and, and you only find out from, from other people's feedback. Well, and that's natural, right? I mean, everybody has a way they play kind of a default. God, this is, you, you sort of preempted my last story too oh, no that, that's what that's what mine's about <laughs> also and yeah to that's the hardest of all right something that you're really comfortable with <laughs> yeah it's like trying to change the way you dress or something someone says you know khaki pants are just really. you know what you're just your not, nose is, is just too big 
Oh, well, that, that's maybe harder to change. <laughs> yeah, but maybe, you know, you got to dress to de-emphasize your nose or do fix your hair so your nose doesn't look so big. Or, you know, I mean, can whatever it is, is you, you got to work on it. Is there something you can wear to... Maybe not wear, maybe. but I think your hair could definitely... Anyway, okay. beside the point, <laughs> you know, I it felt sort of like, yeah, this is how I play this. But I mean, I, I know... I know that's my weakness is just sounding too wound up. Well, so mine was going to be, I remember one time playing for you one or two houses ago. Yeah. Same kind of thing thinking, okay, here's what I'm going to focus on because, you know, I've heard this in the past and she's told me this in the past and then same thing. That's the the feedback I get. And for me, it was that my bow was basically doing one thing most of the time, like one bow speed, one bow pressure. And yeah, it's just hard to be very interesting if the bow is kind of laying one track. Maybe I was wrong. No, I, you were right because then when, well, obviously you can't, <laughs> you can't tell any kind of a story if your bow is monotone. Anyway, right, that right was... Right hand kills music. The, yeah, right, <laughs> right hand kills music, right hand deadens music. Yeah. Right hand does quite a lot, I guess. Um, Fancy that. So, yeah, that was that was definitely a moment for me in these last ten years. So, anything else? Um, Any quick, quick inspirational quotes? Things you could put up on a poster? Um, quick inspirational quotes. See, I had trouble coming up with those too. Inspirational quotes. I. There's always a. So you're going to be a, a violinist. I never would have guessed. Oh, wait, who was that? Mr. Chang. Oh, okay. Which Mr. Chang is that? Oh, Lin Chang. <laughs> yeah. Never would have guessed. Yeah. Guess that wasn't quite inspirational. Well, maybe it was because maybe there were so many things you could have done. Yeah, I mean, that English degree could have gone anywhere, <laughs> including straight into the trash. At least you have another degree. <laughs> <laughs> no, the one doesn't count. If I'm not a violinist, then... I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure you can read... Pretty sure you can read novels. <laughs> well, no, actually, okay, quick inspirational. Maybe the quote isn't inspirational. It needs a little context, but I honestly forget who I was playing for, but it was someone that I, I was nervous for and I was expecting the worst I played Mozart for. And after I played just 30 seconds, they said, oh, sounds great. It's ready to go. Just the second note was out of tune. All the rest was great. It's like, wow, okay. You mean the F sharp? And like, yep. I was like, oh, okay. Hmm. And so when I, I got home, I listened to my recordings that I'd been making. This was probably 15 years ago at least. And yeah, they were right. Every time the F sharp was pretty low, I hadn't been hearing it. And I made that change. And, and I'm not, not going to say that won me a job single-handedly, but that's that kind of quick specific thing that I had just had a blind spot for for years. Could be your calling card. Hey, I can <laughs> kill one that, that one note out of tune. <laughs> for it to be always the same one, that means there's like such an easy fix, you know? Oh, I mean... There's nothing worse than having different notes be out of tune every time you play something. <laughs> it's like the joke Moving about target. violist's fingers, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> what do violist's fingers and lightning have in common? <laughs> Never strike the same place twice. <laughs> it's like that My Little Pony scene with the moving moving bullseye oh right yeah if, if anybody out there who hasn't 
discovered the magic of the My Little Pony franchise. Not the old one, but the, the new reboot. It's invaded our house. So Yeah, there, there's a there's a moving target in one episode. The moment that's I'm visualizing. Rainbow <laughs> Dash. All right. Well, if we've temporarily run out of inspirational quotes, um, this has been great. Yeah, reliving those those moments where we <laughs> got a helping hand or actually most of these stories it sounds like not a helping hand it's it's kind of a, a hand pants. kind of pushing down on our shoulders and, but and us conquering despite adversity well <laughs> you know sometimes you got to hear some hard truths and oh, and no. it's a right i mean then this sounds like a cliche but it is how you respond to them right i mean you can hear the hard truth and kind of bury your head in the sand or just have that sunday and martini and then come back the next day, take the violin out of the case again and and work on it and get out the recorder. And I, I've one, I, I do have, have one very positive story that oh. I was hesitant to tell because you waited till it's now. A, it's a humble brag. A humble well, brag. Because it wasn't really, it wasn't, there was no like inspirational line, but I already told you the story about, about my chance run in with Guy Bronstein. Oh, right. And uh, who... So one of the concertmasters of the Berlin Phil, was he then? Although this was, I think, right before he was before, appointed. Before, okay. Um, but of course, incredible player, and he happened to be dating my roommate at the time in, in Spoleto, Italy. Uh, um, and so he was staying in the same little house, and I think I was I was practicing for an audition, and um, he heard me practicing, and he... He asked what I was preparing for, and I told him. He said I was wasting my time with little, little jobs, and I should I should be going for a, a big position somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. And then uh, then I heard him practicing boxy major fugue. Yeah, or no, no, that I heard him practicing that and uh, Verklertenacht, which uh, he was about okay. to play somewhere in. Yeah, I think he said he was. He said he played violin, and then I heard him. And I was, you know, oh. <laughs> I was like, yeah, whatever. Like that was just some guy. Some dude is just hanging out here. Yeah, and he um was amazing. And I remember being after I heard him play, I was you know really flattered. What he said. Yeah, <laughs> you waited till now for that story. Yeah, so I mean, but you know, that's just it's not like that's not really a story. That's sort of like hey, you know, <laughs> well, look that's how like great when I, I was. <laughs> when I finally met Garrison Keeler, uh, you know, I was living in the Twin Cities when I had that job there, and it was literally my last day there on the job. I was playing my final concert that day and the next day I was going to be driving from St. Paul to Chicago to start my job with the Chicago Symphony and that first week on the Chicago job I was going to be auditioning for principal second there. I'm meeting my you know this guy I've listened to on the radio for so many years and I just couldn't believe it it seems so such a lucky chance and I don't know what compelled me to like, why does he care? But I mentioned that I was going to be taking this audition in Chicago (laughs) in five days or something. And he just said, Oh, you'll get it. You'll get it. And I thought, Oh, wow. Amazing. (laughs) Like this is, this is perfect. This means I'm going to get it. And yeah, I did not get it. (laughs) (laughs) No, not, not close. Um, Well, I'll close with like a version of that, that, um, you know, it was a little bit poignant because it involved my, my grandpa who ended up passing away not, not too long after. But so it was, I guess it was January of uh, 2000. 
and I came out to audition for the LFL and uh, I stayed with my grandparents who were living in Alhambra and um, you know it was great they went to bed at like you know seven o'clock at night so I got tons of sleep and <laughs> and you know my grandpa heard me practicing and and he said I said yeah I, I hope really hope I get this job and he said you sound like that you'll get the job oh it was really sweet and he wasn't a musician, right? No, he did He did go to the Philharmonic. It was funny because they used to go all the time. And then when I got the job, they stopped going. But um, <laughs> yeah, they didn't like the, the modern programming. But, um, <laughs> but you know, my grandpa, what I always had kind of a soft spot for my grandpa. And I felt that it was a little bit prophetic that he, that he said that. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, it's funny. I've never had family in the places that I've auditioned and, and worked. Well, yeah, I mean, he, like I said, he passed away just six months after I moved here. And then, yeah, it was it was too bad. But Well, I can't say anything after that. <laughs> it's like, well, so I guess moral of the story is I, boy, did I sound great. And uh, <laughs> if you say anything after that story, you're a jerk. No, I mean, it's nice how these things, uh, they don't have to come from teachers or, or even other musicians, really. That's true. Um. Yeah. But yeah, what you hear from other people, it really does color how you how you work sometimes. And, you know, we're, we're so often told, oh, just you know, block out everything, but everything external, just block it all out. But, you know, you can't, you can't be a hermit forever. I mean, that's not how human beings work. And sometimes, especially when you're young, it's hard to know what, how to filter. You can't really. There is a lot of valuable stuff, positive and negative, to be gotten from other people along the road, for sure. Well, good. Thanks for, uh, yeah, I hadn't heard some of these before, so. <laughs> I think I'm out of positive stories. Those are the two. <laughs> okay. So for the rest of the, rest of the series. The rest of our lives is just going to be. A downer. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay. Well, if you are listening to this before. Monday, July 23rd of 2018, then you want that close working relationship over the, the course of the seven weeks between the resumes and the New York audition, go to sp4l slash New York 2018 and uh, see what I have in store there. And if it's after that time and you just want to check out the videos and the, the marked parts of all those excerpts, that's my way of Showing you how I would do it. I'm showing you how you would, showing you how, I, how would do it. I would do it. Maybe as a bonus, uh, we'll, we'll even throw in Mr. Dickero's fingering for. The last oh, that's right. Yeah, I need to have you. I need to have I you have, mark I have a that. Screenshot of the okay. Fingers. All right. All right. And the, the, we'll right. we'll try and make that some bonus content. That's right. Um, signs up in the next ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. We'll be watching the clock. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for joining us here. We, we love having you with us uh, for Stand Partners for Life. <laughs> <laughs>